this one falls under the category of legal story. So we're working on a case for an attorney for a law firm. And this case had to do with a major fraud, a real estate fraud ring that was taking money from potential investors that turned out to be victims and said, look, you send us 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, and we're going to put it into these real estate deals and you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to you know, make 15, 20% a year. These profits are going to go up on these properties and whatever the presentation was. Well, it turned out it was a big scam. So there were dozens and dozens of victims, probably in excess of 100 actually. And one of the victims um, was a retired attorney or paralegal, I forget exactly what, and, and this person wanted to get their money back. So they put together a few other of the victims as a group, and we're going to sue this investment scheme. And they approached us as an investigative agency to do some research on the company, to look for assets, to uh, evaluate documents and analyze some of the communications to prove that it was a fraud. But, you know, really early on, we told them, look, this is going to be at some point a legal issue. Your investigation will show you things, but for you to actually take action, you're going to need to actually do something legal. And they recognized that and they knew that at some point there would be a court case, a lawsuit, litigation, whatever you want to call it. And you know, we told them, you know, we'd rather do the investigation coordinated with that legal effort, not just do it and then find out that the legal pursuit was going to go in a different direction. So we coordinated with them to obtain an attorney, which they did. And we did the investigation so that it matched what the attorney was trying to accomplish. And that's an important point. Anytime you're doing an investigation that's going to result in legal action, you want to make sure that whatever is done in the investigation matches what the attorney wants to do, right? If the attorney doesn't care about assets, then don't search assets. If the attorney doesn't care about, you know, email smoking guns, then don't do that, right? The attorney's going to have a legal theory. Now, as an investigative agency, we'll often suggest theories that they could use. Sometimes they may not be aware of things, but it's their job and their role, and we don't want to tell them how to do that job per se. Give them advice or suggestions is one thing, but let them run with it. So fast forward, they started this case. Um, and it was a big investigation. They had, at the time, this was back in the uh, mid-2000s, there were eight or nine DVDs full of documents, PDF files, scans, emails, and, you know, tens of thousands of documents that we obtained and researched and analyzed. We made up some reports, gave it to the attorney, and they took it and ran with it. And, you know, this was a legitimate case. This was a major fraud. This group had been defrauded. They had lost money. And part of the reason for putting together this group was to share the expense. You know, the investigation had an expense. The legal case was going to have an expense. There were going to be, you know, attorney's fees and court costs and all kind of expenses involved in pursuing this case. But the idea was at the end, they would win the case and get their money back or most of it or some of it, whatever. So our investigation was pretty much done. And the attorney took it and ran with it. And they, you know, they, they, uh, they were doing their case and we always check in with the attorney to see, do you need anything else? Sometimes we have to testify and they said, no, everything's good. We're, we're proceeding as, as expected. And a couple years, I didn't hear anything else. A couple years later, I ran into, ran into this attorney and asked him, Hey, how did the case go with so-and-so? And they said, well, that case was a disaster. And I said, well, I thought it was a slam dunk. It was a slam dunk. The case was great. 
you know, it was no question about the losses and everything else, but the group of clients, the group of victims became chaos. And what happened was there were some in the group that didn't want to pay any more money. They had put up a thousand dollars each towards the case. And as the case progressed and, you know, needed more for attorney's fees and legal fees and nobody wanted to put up any more money. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Half the people didn't want to put up any more money. And it wasn't that they didn't know. They were told up front, look, this is $1,000 to start the case. As it goes farther, there may be more um, you know, legal fees. If it gets litigated, there may be even a more um, you know, litigation deposit needed, retainers. And they knew that. Uh, it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like somebody you know, changed the deal. But some of them just didn't want to put any more money in. Some of them figured, well, if I don't put any more money in, the case will still go forward. And, I, and if it wins, I'll get my money. And if I don't, I won't have anything out of pocket. So they were trying to be sneaky. Some of the plaintiffs wanted to put up more money, but they didn't feel it was fair that they did and nobody else did. So there ended up being this contention and controversy and dispute between the parties. The attorney is kind of stuck in the middle. Most of the... the Victims didn't feel like the attorney was doing anything wrong, but what happened was when the money started to run out, there was a court there was a court date set for, you know, the the trial, and the attorney hadn't been paid for their fees for that trial, and so the attorney told the the um, these victims this group saying, look, if I don't have my attorney's fees, I can't take the case, I can't proceed in court. Well, one of the victims of this group went to the judge and said, I don't want to let my attorney withdraw from the case. They made a motion to make the attorney, the attorney stay in the case. And the attorney said, well, that's great, but I haven't been paid. They were able to make the judge sign an order requiring that the attorney stay on the case even without payment. So now the attorney is basically working for free and he did a couple motions and he did, you know, opening arguments or whatever the, what they did. And then the attorney made another motion. I want to withdraw from the case. Most of the victims said, yeah, it's okay. You know, we don't want to pay anymore, but there were two or three of them that once they saw that first ruling from the judge, they said, we're going to do this again. They went to the judge and said, no, we don't want him to quit the case. We want him to stay on the case and, and you know, do his job. And the judge said, well, you didn't, he didn't get paid. Well, you did it before, do it again. So the judge said, okay, attorney, you got to stay on the case a little bit longer. And this went on for months. Finally, the attorney was able to document that these plaintiffs weren't acting in their own best interest. Some of them had different interests. Some of them lived literally wanted to be off the case, even the, the victims. Some of them didn't want to proceed anymore. Some of them were even saying it wasn't as much of a scam as we originally thought. So there was kind of a difference of opinion, diverging interest among this group. So finally the judge said, yeah, you don't have to stay on this case to the, to the law firm. And he was able to withdraw. Um, well, at that point, some of, the, some of the victims went back to the attorney and said, give us the money back we did pay you that they already had used up in court. So that was the nature of the case. And because of that, this attorney, you know, was, was very demoralized by it. And some, this is why some attorneys don't do cases where there's a group of plaintiffs. Unless the group can agree that one person and only one person 
speaks for the group and has authority to make decisions, they'll take the case. But if you're a part of a group that has shared losses, it may seem like a good idea to, to pool your efforts. So basically, you can split up the cost. Right? If you if you all have the same interest and the legal fees are going to be twenty thousand, if you have ten people, now it's only two thousand per person. So it may seem tempting to do that. However, all it takes is two or three or four people in that group to want to do something different, either to pay more money than you do or pay less money than you do, or to have different ideas about what your case should be like, who you should be suing, who you should be deposing. It's it's gonna create chaos. So be very careful of putting together a plaintiff's group because first of all, your attorney might not take the case if that's you know, what the deal is. And second of all, even if they do, it can create a situation that the case doesn't go the way you want it to. Your interest now, not only is your, your budget diluted by 10%, which is good, so 2,000 instead of 20, but now your ideas and your suggestions and your goals of that case are now also diluted by 10% because everybody else has the same say as you do. So if somebody else wants to have a different legal theory or strategy, their word is as much weight and value as yours. So be very careful about a group of plaintiffs in a case because it can create chaos unless you all can agree that one person speaks for the group and you can agree in advance what the case is supposed to be about. But even if you do that, things can change over time, right? Things can unravel as the case goes forward. So just keep that in mind as you're putting together a group and have, as always get good legal advice about what you want to do with a court case because only an attorney can give proper legal advice.